Hi, this is Father Andrew, and this is the All Souls Catechesis Podcast. This year, our theme is Signs of Life, Reflection on Hope. And we're going to be hearing from members of our community about where they found hope in this last year. Um, today, we with, have with us Cat uh, Alexander. And for those who don't know you, um, Martin Nutzi. I guess Cat Alexander is what your Zoom name is. Martin Nutzi is your actual last name. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I can explain actually the last name thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I am uh, I am an assistant professor of politics and international relations at Wheaton College. And I professionally still go by my, my maiden name, Catherine uh, Alexander. Yes. Um, but yes, my legal last name <laughs> is Catherine Alexander Martinuzzi. So yeah, so people who know me from the Wheaton campus will be like Cat Alexander and mm -hmm. then you know, we just from all souls be like Cat Martinuzzi or the Martinuzzi's, um, my husband, Chris, and um, our 21 month old um, Elsa Ann, um, the Martinuzzi's. And uh, so there's, yeah, there's always a little bit of like, well, let me explain. My husband has this thing too, where he has to explain things about himself. Like, why is he so Italian in his yeah. last name? And he like grew up in Italy, but he has this English accent. And um, so we each have these like spiels now of like, yeah. <laughs> let me explain who I really am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not just trying to um, make things complicated and I'm not a witness protection that either. It, um, it, it's always one of the options. Got to make sure you understand. No, we're not in that. <laughs> and even if I was, I couldn't tell you. So, right. you know? so maybe you are in witness protection and that was a slip right there. We're, exactly. so, we're on to uh, you now. So if you guys disappear next week, we understand what happened. Right. Moral of the story is you just, you can't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I need to, I need to keep it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I teach at Wheaton and this is my third year at the college. Um, it's been a, you know, a crazy three years for sure. Um, I do um, research, my, my scholarly research focuses on um, international relations and especially the role of religion in international relations, um, both in domestic politics and mm -hmm. in how states or countries relate to each other. Uh, my teaching is a little more broad than that as, you know, as one's teaching yeah. usually is. Uh, at Wheaton, I teach the introductory comparative politics seminar, which okay. is comparing the politics of different states, their institutions, um, comparing different regime types, like authoritarian to democratic sure. regimes, also trying to figure out, you know, like, let's define institutionally and outcomes wise what we mean mm -hmm. by democracy. Yeah. And then comparative politics also, um, my advisor, when I did, I did my PhD at Duke, mm -hmm. and my advisor there, um, like to describe his intro seminar as kind of like dim sum, that <laughs> it's a little bit of everything and then you can go on and take advanced classes in lots of these different yeah. things and um that's the way my intro seminar runs as well you know a little bit about regime types a little bit about democratic theory a little mm -hmm. bit about um the intersections between politics and economics political economy a little bit about conflict and war and terrorism mm -hmm. and you know a little bit of of all the things um, and I also teach classes um, more specifically on themes related to conflict and war. So I teach a civil wars seminar okay. and um, this semester I'm teaching um, a seminar on forgiveness and political reconciliation. Okay. Which is awesome. It's yeah. really one of the classes I've taught. And I also teach every, every year I teach a seminar called politics of global development. And that whole class is about you're trying to understand the intersections of politics and economics and 
and also non-governmental actors in, you know, why are some nations poor? Why are some nations mm -hmm. rich? How do we understand different outcomes of quote unquote development, like uh, inequality. Mm -hmm. um, and then thinking about what does it mean to be developed in a more holistic way to think about human flourishing. You know, what is human flourishing is a bill, big, um, yeah. a big theme of the yeah. college curriculum and that shared core. And so students have thought about it a lot and then they kind of get to apply it, thinking about it politically. Yeah. Um, and one of the cool things about that class is that it has a very clear ebb and flow where it's like, let's talk about all the things that are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and all the things that don't work. Let's talk about all the problems with, mm -hmm. um, with the ways that countries relate to each other in post-colonialism. Mm -hmm. um, international structures and how institutions might be biased toward different countries and um let's talk about problems with foreign aid and you know all mm, the problems yeah diagnose a lot of issues but then i really want to emphasize to my students i don't want to leave you in this in this trough in this right. valley there's a there's supposed to be an upward trajectory here yeah. as well to think about okay what can we do um how do you take this diagnosis, just like a doctor? Mm -hmm. uh, social scientists are kind of like doctors. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of us are doctors, but not that kind of doctor. Right. Right? <laughs> um, don't ask me to give you medical care, right. um, but I could diagnose your democracy. You know, very right. different. Yeah. <laughs> um, but looking for what's an issue, and then what do you prescribe for that? Yeah. Um, what's the ailment, and what's the what's a good prescription? And you know, understanding how prescriptions work for social issues or political issues is a lot like medical issues. You have research. That's why we, that's what social scientists, political scientists doing research are doing, trying to understand patterns in yeah. human behavior. And obviously people aren't like cells or right. particles. Um, social science is inherently a little more fuzzy than yeah. the sciences. Um, but, but we do have ideas in terms of like, people tend to act in this way, given mm -hmm. these conditions. Yeah. And so if that's the case, what tends to work to correct course? Yeah. And so the great news about that class is that students, I think, get a lot out of it. I love teaching it. I also, one of the great things about teaching a weekend is getting to offer a healthy dose of you know, theological thinking about mm -hmm. this, have this open discussion about like, well, what is God's heart? when it comes to questions of wealth and inequality, um, how, do we, how do we take seriously our commands to love the widow and the orphan and the sojourner? Mm. Um, not just in you know, a Levitical law kind of way, but yeah. and, you know, Jesus talks about money a lot. And sometimes it feels like within the church, we can, especially within the, um, the global North, within like Western mm -hmm. Europe and North America, that tend to be the, you know, where concentrations of wealth are, um, globally, sometimes we can do backbends to be like, I'm sure that doesn't apply. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure that that has nothing to do with me. Right. <laughs> um, or like, you know, just, yeah, performing like weird mental yoga to get around yeah. um, these questions. And I love, I love having these, these talks with students. I love seeing them think through these questions. And then as a political scientist to have that intersect with, all right, what do we empirically understand? Yeah. We observed about human behavior. So I, um, this year for the first time I've introduced to my syllabus, um, 
this final week before we do final presentations, it's actually this week, which is why I signed up for this week of the right. podcast. Um, because this week in class, we're talking about um, this book that I've assigned, uh, The World is Not Ours to Save, Finding the Freedom to Do Good by Tyler Wick Stevenson. Um, because I find that students, just like all of us, you know, we're, we're, we're surrounded by all of, all of these things that are broken in yeah. our world. Um, you've gone through this entire class learning about all the things that don't work. And when we talk about what could work, it's often very, um, very hypothetical. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, very much recommendations based, but if it were already being done, then we wouldn't be making those recommendations. Right. Um, and, and I just, you know, I, I found that, especially in a, in a semester like this, in a year like this, where not only are we all so emotionally exhausted, and spiritually exhausted, we feel isolated. Um, and just, you know, we're all barely hanging on by our fingernails. It's yeah. the end of the semester for students anyway. And this is all, you know, mid to late April is always implosion time. Yeah. Um, how, how much more do we even feel? How much more are these, are, do we find these burdens that we're all carrying? Um, as we look to the systems and the institutions that are also a big part of our conversation right mm -hmm. now on, um, you know, from questions of racial justice, uh, which has been, I think, you know, really the big one in the United States, yeah. um, especially since last summer and, um, and the killing of George Floyd. And obviously, you know, we've had, we had the verdict um, passed down um, from the jury for Derek Chauvin this week, mm -hmm. uh, I'm guilty on all three counts. This, I had a conversation with students yesterday in class about the verdict and it was like, wow, it's great you know, to see, to see what feels like such a hard fight for justice. Mm -hmm. Finally, Oh, a moment, a moment yeah. of justice, but this is not a, a moment of celebration. This is not, um, it's also not nearly a solution to right. systemic problems. Yeah. And and when you're faced, I mean, this has been, the trial has been so, you know, just, I mean, people, this has only happened a few times in my lifetime, you know, where people literally just sat down what they're doing and, you know, they're, uh, they're glued to TV, yeah. they're glued to the radio, you know, what's going to happen. They say they've got a verdict. What, what's it going to be? Mm -hmm. um, the, the weight of, of these questions of, you know, of, of discrimination and bias and uh, not seeing other people as fully human. Mm -hmm. The idea that we could be living in 2021 and we haven't fixed these, yeah. these things. Um, the, the way that bias and discrimination have changed from being mm -hmm. things that are outright, you know, you know, someone says something and that's very obviously like, whoa, what you just yeah. said was racist versus how there are assumptions and de facto systems baked into just how how the United States, you know, to take the United States as a particular yeah. case, how it does business. Yeah. Um, and and to understand that, you know, systems and institutions have been built by people who have been already in positions of power and those yeah. people have overwhelmingly been white. Yeah. Um, when you are faced with this, 
when you are unpacking all of this, when you're looking at systems of inequality in the world, all of the poverty, all of the war, all of the conflict, how do you sit there and not just burst into tears? Yeah. How do you deal with any of this? And I mean, and I'm, I'm teaching this every day. This stuff <laughs> is, you know, I spend a majority of my waking hours thinking about current events and politics. Yeah. And it's pretty exhausting. Yeah. Um, the burnout is real. And, and, and so to be in this entire context, to be in the context of the pandemic, to be in the midst of um, these really important societal questions where we are, you know, we're, we're ripping the wallpaper off to see what's underneath. Um, and, and we need to do that because there are baked in biases and yeah. discrim discriminatory practices and the dehumanization of people in our systems. Um, but how do you as an individual look at that and, and even think about your part? Yeah. How do we think about how we fit in to that? And, and I, I've found in this class before and, and then now also just in the midst of, again, everything that's been happening in our, in our world, um, you know, in just the past year, students and they're not alone. I want to know this too. How do yeah. I, where do I fit into this? Um, and, and how do I think about God and his role? Um, how do I think about God being sovereign? Mm -hmm. Um, when I don't understand why he allows things to happen? How, how do I, how do I intellectually think through that? How do I emotionally process it? And what do I do? How do I think about yeah, my place. And um, so one of the, I've just sort of jumped in here in terms of, you know, yeah. what I found encouraging, uh, what I, where I found hope, but um, I have really had to find hope and cling to um, the, the truth that the world is God's. Mm -hmm. um, and and as much as, cause I'm, I'm a very action oriented person. I want to be, I want to be in there. I want to be in the systems. I want to, I want to have power to change things. Yeah. Um, as much as I want that, as much as I, um, as I, as I want to do good. So much of, um, and I think it's appropriate to also just kind of, you know, leap into, to, um, Tyler Rick Stevenson's book, um, but, you know, so much of the actions that I want to take and the systems that I want to change, sometimes that also comes with this assumption where I, I assume that they have to change. The world will never be okay. The world mm. will never be fixed unless I, or unless we, yeah. um, and that's a lot of pressure to put on ourselves. Um, it's also a lot of, um, it, it really leads us to, to hero worship. It really leads us to, you know, really worship our own actions. Mm -hmm. um, to even be having had a great discussion with students about this yesterday, the question of like, you know, we like the struggle, we're built for this yeah. struggle. Um, and, you know, if you wanna be a hero, you kind of need a villain. Um, yeah. And, and, so do we, whether intentionally or not, do we, do we endorse kind of the struggle itself because we want to be part of change because we want to be 
because we want to be heroic. Yeah. When, and so when we, and we put ourselves in these positions, like we need to do this, we need to be like this. We, we can do it if we just fill in the blank, but, but all superheroes, all heroes, you know, whether they have superpowers, Mm -hmm. fantasy or not, um, they're all types of Christ. They're all reflections of Christ. Mm -hmm. But, but rather than thinking about him, rather than thinking about being his hands and feet, rather than thinking about um, and resting in the fact that the world is, is God's to save and not ours. Mm-hmm. Um, we leap in and we want to do it ourselves. Um, and what's so interesting about it is that these are good impulses, you know, to want to do good. Yeah. Um, but we but we develop new idols in terms of ourselves, in terms of our own action. Um, and one of the things that, that Tyler says in this book is that, that he observes a shifting in modes of cultural engagement Okay. right now in terms of how Christians are engaging with the world. Um, that we're moving, he sees a shift from individualistic models mm-hmm. like evangelism um, into really systems-based models, like mm-hmm. being involved in politics um, and in social reform. Um, and that this moment, he, he says, the truth of, the, of uh, the faith appears to stand or fall based on its goodness, as shown in the lives of those who claim it. This means that Christianity is something to prove. Mm-hmm. That we also feel this burden for like, we've got to do good because we got to do good for Jesus or people yeah. come to Jesus. Um, and and I'm a Christian and I'm one of the do-gooder Christians. Like not all Christians yes. do that thing. There's there's almost like a PR move of like, yes. there's a societal move towards activism and we all recognize that there's lots of good in that. And so among those Christians who consider justice important, there is this weird, like if there's a sort of political cause that the broader world has accepted, Christians almost like appeal to those people to say, see, see, we're good too. We're, we're one of you guys. Don't be mad at us in a way that like, rather than stepping out in the authority of like, all goodness is God, God's goodness and all truth derives from the one who is truth. And so I agree with that because that's, there's almost like a please like us. Um, yeah. yeah. That, or, or there's a counter reaction of like, since some people are doing that, I'm going to take the default like anti-woke position because that's fo- that's following the world's lead and I have to be I have to be different um that's the villain so I need to be the opposite of that yes. um that feels like a different kind of unhealthy approach too yes yeah yeah I he talks about um these like different visions for activism like a kind of a traditional vision being how can public goods be obtained using Christianity mm-hmm. like how can we use who we are to get the thing yeah or to um to fix the thing um, versus a kingdom oriented vision that he advocates for Mm -hmm. thinking about what are the unique and authentic contributions the Christian church can make to the public square and the difference there being beginning with the problem Mm -hmm. or beginning with the nature of the kingdom that's coming and already here, this, this both and, um, and, and both of those positions like the, like me, or Mm -hmm. I want to do, you know, we're doing good. See, um or oh no well if people are doing that then it must be bad 
um, because any majority position must be antithetical. Right. Any, any social movement position must be antithetical to the gospel um, because we are because we are internalizing certain teachings about like persecution or yeah. being hated by the world as opposed to also internalizing these other things like, oh, maybe this actually jives with with Jesus's commandments. I mean, yeah. like wh what, how, how we're supposed to live and, and what his, what his example is, what, how does Jesus engage yeah. with the world? Um, and he doesn't virtue signal. He's not a virtue mm -hmm. signaler. Um, yeah. He's also not, he's not a party pooper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's not either one. Um, he, he comes at things sideways and that's, you know, we just, we see that throughout, um, his ministry that Jesus always does things. He always fulfill. He always does what he says he's going to do. He always, you know, he, he is the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of prophecy. He does these things, but he does them um, in ways that no one expects. We, yeah. we, we expect it to happen in a particular way. And that's the idea here of like, we see our own human action in a particular way. Um, but we, we don't expect God. We don't expect um, the ways that he will, that he will do things. Yeah. Yeah. It, I wonder if that's, um, you mentioned a lot of like how things happen in the United States. Is this a uniquely American way of doing things? I, I read a book a little while ago that sort of went through the history of Westerns and how Westerns function in the sort of formative imaginative world for Americans as like the lone single gunslinger. And that's how we want our heroes to be mm. here in America is, is like the, in, the rugged individual. And there, there are systems, but it's always like the, the thing that saves the day is the hero, not like gradual social change through like local politics. Like <laughs> it's, it's the bad railroad company coming in or, you know, yes. it's, it's the, the one gunslinger who takes care of it. Yeah. But is that, are those the same problems that exist elsewhere like do other parts of the world struggle with kingdom and activism in the same way sorry could you ask that question again yes um interrupted oh that's fine uh this is this is what happens when we do podcasts in the middle of the day um do other countries deal with activism like that the the same tension that we feel here about like i have to be the hero um is that true of other countries or other parts of the world or do they have a, their own unique kind of struggle with how to be kingdom and activists at the same time? Gosh, that's such a good question. And I think that, um, you know, it's interesting as I think, as I think about that question, I have so many things running through my head. And the first thing is kind of the intersection of, of that sort of cultural and individualist streak with wealth, with, you know, mm -hmm. where the centers of global wealth are and they tend to be, um, tend to be, you know, not every, but, but they tend to be concentrated in also more individualistic mm -hmm. uh, societies um, in terms of like thinking about the West. Um, and I think that how, how people think about um, how change should happen, uh, whether that should happen through yeah, individuals doing a particular thing or whether you need communal buy-in mm -hmm. um, even in terms of what, what are our goals? Um, you know, is the goal, the, the house with the white picket fence and the, 
you know, two and a half children and yeah. a, and a dog or yeah. the single family home versus a multi-generational home. Um, and different concepts of personal space, different, mm-hmm. different um, conceptualizations of time, the role of time and, and productivity, mm-hmm. Both production and productivity and efficiency are, are really values within a lot of these, you know, individualistic yeah. um, sort of cultural norms. Um, whereas that might not be so much the case in, mm-hmm. in other places. Um, and, and I do think that this logically would translate into activism. Um, you see a lot, I think, um, I was thinking about like the protests that are happening in Russia right now, or that are taking place in Myanmar against mm-hmm. the, um, the military regime um, after this recent coup. Um, public mo- uh, mobilization mm-hmm. um, is the only means for some folks, especially living under um, more uh, authoritarian yeah. regimes. This idea of like, you know, having freedom of speech and being able to kind of individually, even being having like the ability to have individual impact is something that's not even available to yeah. in a lot of contexts. Um, and it's also, you know, you wouldn't want to be the lone gunslinger in, yeah. uh, in, in different parts, in different cultures um, that are more communally oriented or, um, you know, not so much about, you know, wealth production as honor or, um, you know, where there, where your place in society is very important. Um, and that can impact also then how you shape things like social safety nets yeah, um, or what your expectations are. Like, do you need the state to provide that, um, to provide say like a pension after retirement, yeah. um, in a cultural context where you were expected to have a, uh, a uh, where it is it is expected that you will have an extended family yeah. that will take care of you. Um, it's not just a question of wealth; it's also a question of of norms yeah. and um, yeah expectations. And that's why with my students, I always want to I always want for us to we always start in this class with a um, you know asking what is human flourishing. What does it mean to flourish? Can we think about this in a holistic way? Because we do in the United States, you know, I can, I can certainly speak from the United States context and I'm, I'm married to a Western European and, you know, I, I don't say I speak for like the West, but right. I, I, I'm pretty embedded in a lot of Western traditions, um, political theory and things like that. And we are um, very interested in, in wealth. Mm-hmm very interested in comfort. Um, this bend over backwards yoga thing, you yeah. know, like, oh, I'm sure that money stuff doesn't apply to me. Um, right. People are often struck when they travel to um, majority world global South contexts. And they're like, it's almost like a cliche at this point. Oh, the people are so happy. Yeah. Having anything. And you don't want that to turn into, you know, this dehumanization or like, oh, poverty's great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're all of it. Being poor is fun. Like that's not, yeah. that's not what we're going for here. Um, but there is, I think when you look at the early church and yeah. you look at, you know, sharing, um, it's important that there are people who have land, for example, and have resources to sell off, to provide, right. 
to share amongst the community. Um, but you're also not, the level of inequality is very different from what we can imagine yeah. in 2021. Um, That's even in, in that first Corinthians 11 passage about communion and all those like warning things The we always, or I typically hear people talk about those warnings in terms of like, if you've got, if you've got beef with someone, you need to reconcile that. But there's also the thing that like, if, they have to do with the, the wealth inequality about whether or not someone has a meal or not, or someone's showing up hungry. Um, I don't remember the particulars about it. And it's a little bit different than I think how we would necessarily phrase it now, but again, they're addressing like, if one of you is wealthy and one of you is not, um, James deals with that as well. Like if someone shows up, you're treating the people who are dressed well better than others and you shouldn't do that. So they, they have that. They already, even with the, the smaller amount of inequality they have are already saying this is problematic. Like right. there needs to be a very clear sense of, of equality among you. Um, I remember seeing a, a talk from Andy Crouch talking and it, it was beautiful at the end. Um, he talks about R Romans 16 and just all the different names that are in that letter, everything from, and pointing out that like Roman slaves would be named third or fourth, right? Mm -hmm. Tertius or Quartus. And like, those names are next to Gaius, which is like a much more noble name. And Paul's just like, these are all the people that say hi. Like Bird <laughs> and Gaius both say hello. Right. Um, and what a, that's the church's view of flourishing, which would be incredibly different from that Roman context of what flourishing looks like. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, when you were when this individual context, this individualism mm -hmm. um, culture, thinking about activism, there is a lot of that, like, yeah, that spotlight on what I can do, what I can individually do, um, and suspicion of the systems, mm -hmm. whereas there might be the reverse, or like the suspicion of an individual, um, don't step out of line, this is the way things are, Yeah, let's not rock the boat. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that when we look, I, I think that, that scripture clearly indicates Oh, individuals do. An individual can have major impact. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that Tyler talks about in the book is like, we all imagine ourselves to be the David in the David and Goliath story. Mm -hmm. We don't think about ourselves as like the nameless Israelites <laughs> or um, the nameless Philistines yeah. or as Goliath um, right. or um, as Jesse. Like we don't think of ourselves as anybody else. We're like, oh, yeah. I'm the David. I see how like this relates to my, my uh, life in this way. Um, our calling, what we, what the Lord may be calling us to do may not be mm -hmm. to, to be the person who gets your name on the billboard and our assumption that those people are the ones who enact change mm -hmm. as opposed to like some people work in one job. They are part of the bureaucracy that, that makes that, you know, that, that helps you file your taxes yeah. or help you, um, you know, helps distribute food stamps mm -hmm. or, um, registers your car with the data like some people are part of we I, I talk about this in classes too where like we think about bureaucracy as having like a really bad rep like especially mm -hmm. in the united states like yeah. the word bureaucracy is just like oh, yeah no. but the bureaucracy is just the part of government that implements policy yeah and it would be you you wouldn't want a decree or a law passed and then like nothing happened <laughs> you want someone to actually do it yeah right and and we might be, this is that, you know, you don't know if you're sewing or you're watering. That's not just, it, I, I really think about that 
absolutely in terms of evangelism, absolutely in mm-hmm. terms of sharing the gospel. It's also in terms of like serving, mm-hmm. serving your community. You don't have to go, you don't have to do the Hollywood blockbuster thing to save the world. First of all, because God doesn't need you to do that. Right. <laughs> and um, he, he's inviting us in. We get to be part of something and it's amazing, but we have the freedom to not have to be like so burdened by that. Yeah. First of all, it's not up to us. Um, he is trustworthy. And so if things don't go the way we're expecting, we can re- rest. I mean, like literally rest and also yeah. physically rest in him, which is another thing that we don't do well in individualist right. cultures. We don't rest. We're very work obsessed. We're very, what we do obsessed. Yeah. Um, and, um, we, we never get things right. So we are, um, like losing my train of thought here. Um, this is, this is, this, this is the, haven't had a good night's sleep in two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh no, what was I talking about? Um, yeah, the, we, we, you know, we think that we have to do things in a particular way. We think okay. that we, um, you've got to be captain America, um, to fight the thing. Yeah. But the Lord is already taking care of that. He yeah. is somehow working all things. And we, and we also don't try, I mean, Tyler talks about this too. We don't trust that that's the case. We frequently no, not at all. are like, no, I don't think that either, you know, God can't be using that or God is absent. Um, that's not who he is. Um, there's actually a part where he, there's a whole chapter about fearing God in here. And, and it, the thesis statement there is all life is the Lord's. Yeah. And that, it, that boils I, I, down ways that are difficult for us. I think about um, in, in some ways, like from a sort of pastoral ministry perspective, it's, it's baked into how we think about faith in particular, like the word evangelical doesn't, doesn't mean anything specific anymore, but historically like activism was one of Bebbington's quadrilaterals, right? Like he's got these four things that define evangelicalism as a movement that comes out of the 18th or the 19th century. Um, And like one of them is activism, the sense that you have to be actively involved in your faith. And there is a sort of move that starts starts in youth ministry, right? That is this like, you need to take your faith seriously. You need to do this. You, you can't just be someone who comes and just sits in the pew um, because right. you need to, and it's a, it's to combat nominalism, which would, is problematic, right? Like someone who, who considers, who sort of is in dead ritualistic faith, right? Like that's not an ideal, mm-hmm. but the, the side effects of the medicine to that are this belief that like, well, no, I need to do this. And the side effect to like yes. encouraging young people as they're forming their identity that like they can change the world. This is a kingdom manifesto. And like we use that kind of language to try and inspire teenagers to think, mm-hmm. to sort of think about, well, what's actually plausible? What actually could happen? God could break in and do things, you know, live into that expectation. But then it can so easily, especially in like a suburban achievement environment, can turn so quickly into like, I have to do this. And just being a volunteer isn't enough. I need to be a leader of a ministry. Um, you know, I, there are, are models of youth ministry that talk about that heavy on student leadership. Like you need to have teenagers who are leading Bible studies. And that's a metric for success is like, are your teenagers 
going into their schools and leading Bible studies. And of course, that's awesome when that happens. But like, not every student's meant to do that. Like lots of Christians are meant to just go be quiet, faithful witnesses. Um, and I love, there's that, that scene in The Great Divorce um, where the, the woman, Sarah Smith or whatever, like gets this huge parade and Lewis talking about her, you know, writing about it. Like, you know, every child who met her was her, was her daughter or son and every animal that met her was, you know, this beautiful thing. But even that, like, we're still expecting the heavenly parade for that. Like we couldn't just be quietly faithful and, and just be like, okay, that was good. We, we need to have our sort of Western psyche requires some sort of big event um, mm -hmm. to commemorate and celebrate our high achievement. We all need our, our party for how good we are or else we feel like it wasn't, we didn't actually do a good enough job. Um, yes. That's kind of that, baked yeah, into our discipleship. Yes. And that's, and I think that that's another thing that, you know, that Tyler's really trying to address is that we have such high rates of burnout. How do you not get burned out? How do you not get overwhelmed? How are you like, why am I, why do I feel like Sisyphus just like rolling the boulder up the hill every day and nothing changes? Yeah. Um, we're, and, and that, and being burned out and also seeing like, whoa, I don't, why aren't things changing? Not only is that a recipe for like exhaustion, mm -hmm. it's also, if we, if we are tied, if our faith is so closely tied to, to what we're doing mm -hmm. and our own efforts, it, it's just, it, it's, it's asking for erosion of the faith itself. If our faith is all about doing, then, then, and then nothing is happening based on all of what we're doing. Yeah. Not only are, yeah, are we going to get exhausted? We're going to be like, is this even true? Yeah. Um, does God even care about the world? Like what is, and so it just, you know, there's this, this erosion. And, and I think that that's, that's the number one reason why I picked up this book. And I signed this book in the first place was this idea of the world is not ours to say, finding the freedom to do good, because I, I've reached the end of my rope to be like, Lord, I, what are we even doing here? What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> what, what's with all the poverty? What's with all the death? How, yeah. how do how do you square that? Like, you know, putting that on him and saying, yeah. you, you, you justify that to me. Yeah. And, and it's important for me to read, you know, someone articulating, God doesn't have to justify anything to you, first of all. And that, <laughs> that's rough. Um, and also this is, this is a good thing. This is not just a cop-out. It's a relief. Mm -hmm. We, this gives us the freedom to do good. This is, this is liberation. It's not, it's not avoidance of culpability. Um, and it's not nominalism. This is yeah. not, don't do it. It's not, don't do something. It's you have the freedom to do because it's not up to you. And that is that kind of paradoxical both and tension that to me is just like, mm, let's just stamp Jesus all, yeah. all over it. <laughs> like, aha. Yeah, it's, uh, I've been trying really hard over the last few years to to reimagine like to reprioritize faithfulness as a goal because mm -hmm. that that basically says like I don't I don't have to control the ends. I obviously want to be effective if at all possible, but like I can't control the outcomes. I can't control how things work. Um I can only do the thing that's in front of me and my call is to ultimately be faithful and to say okay, what what based on what I what God has gifted me to do and the opportunities in front of me, what am I called to do? And, and whatever happens with that, 
God will take care of the, like, I'm just planting seeds and God will take care of the rest. And I can't do anything. I'll just be the very, like, do what I can. And then, yeah, there is that rest that is so important. Cause I think I, I, I find I have a, an allergic reaction to like, I'm sure there's, there's a, a proper social science term for it, but like hustle culture, like the, the people who are like, if you're not waking up on Monday morning, like jazz to go to work, if you're not like chomping at the bit on Sunday to get back to work, like, what are you even doing? You have to like get at it and work hard and, and hit the pavement and that kind of stuff. And I see people, whenever I see that, I'm like, Oh, this is horrible. Like this is, this is so toxic to the human soul because rest is good. Like, one guy I, I I follow on Instagram was like talking about going back to work in the evening at his company and like leaving his his child at home because like like I I love her but I I need to get back like I'm building something for us and for our future and it's like ah may, maybe have a less successful company and have an extra few hours with your daughter who you don't actually you know, you'll never get these years back, not to add like guilt to parents of young children, but, but that same feel, right? Like it's, there, there is no resting in things. It, it's squarely on our shoulders. And so it, it forces us to act all the time. Yeah. Um, it's the, you, you become too big to fail. Mm-hmm. It's like the, you know, like a bank, Yeah, <laughs> you are now too big to fail. If you step out for one second, it's all going to come crumbling. And this, this is an idol that, that has you know, perpetuated a lot of different kinds of injustices mm-hmm. um, throughout our culture and throughout the church. Um, that if, you know, oh, we've got one person whose ministry is so important, we couldn't yeah. possibly try to look into their behavior or try to hold them accountable because yeah. think of all the people who won't be reached. That is so limiting God. Yeah. And it, so, you know, we become overworked, obsessed with ourselves. We, we don't have rest, which is like, hugely prescribed for us and part of our design it's part of what god does for himself even though he doesn't have limitations like what does that even mean yeah um and it just yeah it 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 creates these these toxic um um what's the oh what's the word i'm looking for um these downstream these downstream effects Mm -hmm. um Negative externalities is the social science. There we go. <laughs> um, negative externalities, um, you know, things that you don't intend, but, but are, but become negative consequences of your yeah. behavior. And, and yeah, we can be so focused on like, what's well, just so important that I do it. It's mm-hmm. so important that we, that, you know, we must, if we don't do it, no one will do it. If we don't go, no one will go. If I don't answer this call, God, how will you, and just you, God can speak through the mouths of donkeys. Yeah. (laughs) And he will, the very rocks themselves will cry out. Yeah. We we don't really take that seriously. Yeah. In in a way that, yeah, if if this person doesn't do it, and it undoes the reformation in so many ways, because we've made, we've made sort of celebrity pastoral figures, like if their ministry fails, because they've blessed so many people yes. or their ministry has blessed so many people, God must've had no other way to reach them. Um, and the reality is like, yeah, I, he'll get to who he wants to get to and not, not in a fatalistic way, but in a way that's like, no, just don't, don't think it all hinges on your, on your effort. And again, I think that is the, the downstream negative consequence of 
a push for evangelism because like if i don't preach how how else will they hear and paul even says that in romans right like if 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 you don't if we don't send who's going to actually preach this stuff there is a an urgency to mission Mm -hmm. but how to do that without like without guilting and adding a new law that says like well i didn't i didn't go out and pray so these people won't get saved and their eternal destiny sitting in my hands right like that kind of a clearly when you get to that point that's again a reassessing moment of like okay that doesn't look like what scripture teaches so something's gone wrong in the in the intermediary points yeah and then that sets you know that sets up all kinds of other negative externalities of like well if i'm the only one who can do it or i, I know i feel this call and and, I, and if i mm-hmm. don't it all it's all relying on me um the the, the way that that models or it turns into these, yeah, the kind of hero model of you know, I got to be the lone gunslinger, so to speak. Um, we, I think that that also cultivates some hardness of heart or, um, or ways in which it's like, well, I was called to do this. So I must already be equipped to do it, yeah. or I must already have everything I need. And that can be so damaging in, in evangelism. Um, where, you know, it's like, well, we've got what we need. And so I'm sure that the culture that you have mm-hmm. should just, you know, doesn't have anything redeeming about it. Right. And, and, you know, this, this idea of we've got to do it and we've got to do it in particular ways, especially through modes of power. Mm-hmm. It's just throughout church history. Yeah. And it, and it is damaging to, um, it's it's it is ironically very damaging to witness yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> and it has the opposite uh, effect yes <laughs> uh and and i do think that my i've had students wrestle with this in class as well when we talk about missions as part of this class mm-hmm. we just have to talk about development without talking about the role of missions in, mm-hmm. in development too um that we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. yeah we don't want to say we're so worried about how we might be wrong or doing things incorrectly that we, that we're paralyzed to move either yeah. because the world is God's to save. That also releases us to, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about what, right. how we're doing things. It doesn't mean like, you know, go, go forth and sin by no means. Mm-hmm. Right. But it is, you can be reassured that, that, the, that God is somehow in his economy, he's working all things. Um, that he is weirdly enough, the one most concerned with his glory. Right. Um, and so there's, the, there's this tension of, you know, it means that you, that we want to have humility and it mm-hmm. also means we don't want to be paralyzed yeah. that, that there's it, this reality of God's sovereignty, his overwhelming love for the world, his overwhelming power, his omnipotence, um, and his justice, that he is fully just, yeah. that, know, that knowing that about him is, is what squares that circle. Mm-hmm. We, we can't solve that tension by ourselves. Yeah. I, so I think a lot about um, how hard it must be to be in the social sciences and have academic work on political activism and to be like just around lots of people just going full speed and whatever desire hits them at any given moment. I think yeah. a lot about Brad Cathy who like bad type is everywhere. And the poor guys, are, <laughs> like graphic designers just live in a constant hell of like comic sans and, and papyrus all over the world. Um, so 
I wonder, like, I, I know you said the, the solutions are sometimes difficult, but if you were to recommend like Christians who are saying, okay, I, I, I feel free, like I've, I've worked out the sort of emotional, spiritual ability to trust God to do this, but I want to do this in a way that is effective, or I want to, I want to be involved in causes that are, are politically wise. I don't just want to like run out and, and, and protest and then find that it, I, I'm not sure what it did. Um, what are your recommendations for Christians who, who want to take that step in full freedom of trusting God, but wanting to look for effective ways to do it? Yeah, I think that um, the first thing is taking really seriously um, the exhortation to be slow to speak, mm. to be quick to listen and slow to speak, um, particularly if you want to do good outside of your own community um, or to be, you know, very other centered, how, what is, what are other people, the people who you want to serve, what are they telling you that they need? Mm -hmm. um, this comes up a lot talking about development, you know, are you, are you, even with the best intentions, are you accidentally undermining local industries? Yeah. Are you, um, are you stewarding resources in a way that you, your target population might've really benefited from, you know, just like a direct cash transfer. Right. Are you list, are, are, are you seeking to gather information first? I think that's the, the number one thing. Um, and it has really changed how I have thought about politics throughout my whole life. Um, I think about political questions in very nuanced ways now. I mean, yeah. partly because I'm a political scientist. Right. Um, and so it's, again, it's something I practice a lot, mm -hmm. but, um, but I've just learned so much. I've learned so much in terms of things that work in some contexts and don't work in other contexts. Mm -hmm. Turns out context is really important. So before you move, before you make a move, are you listening? Uh, can you listen mm -hmm. and try to get a sense for what the need is? Um, and part of that listening is, are you being invited? Um, yeah. or are you, are you sort of saying, I'm going to put myself into this? Um, and, you know, sometimes for example, in missions work, uh, in some contexts, there may not be a local church. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, part of missions is, is so part of missions there is building up the local church is equipping the local church. Um, but in a lot of contexts, there's a local church. You just may not know who they are, or mm -hmm. they might even be different, have a different denomination. Mm -hmm. than um, are you, so I think that there's also really, really seeking to be not the first mover, mm -hmm. um, not the first mover or to not even be the agenda setter. And I think that in a, in a culture that's very action oriented and I want to do it, I want to do the thing. It, it may be hard to, um, to be told to wait mm -hmm. or be told actually that's, that's very sweet of you, but we don't need that. <laughs> um, yeah. you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be rejected. You don't want your, your ideas or your overtures to be, to be rejected. But, um, I think that you want to start from this position of humility, the assumption that you may not have the answer, yeah. uh, which is, which is hard um, if you're used to being right or if you're used to being successful. Um, I am, I'm on the Enneagram. I'm like a three, yeah. I'm, I'm an achiever. Yeah. Um, I don't like doing things I'm not good at. Um, <laughs> I want to be good at the thing. Uh, and so I'm very uncomfortable when I'm in situations where I feel out of my depth or yeah. I don't feel like 
I'm being appreciated because the, achieve, the achievers also very interested in feedback from others. Yeah. Tell me, tell me that you approve of me. Tell me how good I am at what I do. That would be nice. It's that parade. That yeah. <laughs> parade. Um, so that is not our natural tendency a lot of the time. Um, to not to think about, it may not be about your action. Um, you may not be the one to solve this problem. And the way that you figure that out, the way that you know you can understand this is to listen, is to begin yeah. with listening. Um, and then I think there's also humility in yeah, being willing to change your um, the tactics that you mm-hmm. might be, be thinking about. You might say, you might also say, you know, I have a gifting. Is there any way that this could be used um, to not assume that that peg is going to fit in every hole? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of it for me boils down to being teachable, being flexible, being, being humble, it, mm-hmm. be, being humble on um, not assuming that you are the protagonist of the story, not assuming you're the, you're that you're the David. Um, yeah. you just be, um, someone who's not named. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't mean that you are not part of God's plan. It doesn't mean that you're not being obedient. Um, it is a significant paradigm shift and maybe that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, it I, also, yeah, I was say, it also strikes me that, that all of this requires, us to maybe care about fewer things like it takes a long time to to go into a space to yeah. listen to learn to be teachable um and that if i wanted to do good with what's in front of me and, and with an opportunity that i have um it means i probably couldn't do good about literally every cause that i see and think is important um yeah. like i like I, i'm bombarded on my twitter feed with all of the problems in the world and like <laughs> Every week, John Oliver spends half an hour laying out another thing that's broken right. in our society. So, like, I, I have to care about all these things, and it feels like um, that that burnout is real because you feel like, well, I've got to, I've got to address all of these things. And the the advantage of intersectionality is saying, well, these things are all related. So you're like, well, I guess I've got to tackle the like the sin of the world, but to do this well to do any of those things with any sort of real competency, I'd have to slow down, pick one thing and, and say, okay, but there's other issues. I, I don't, I don't have the space to address and that's okay. Um, that's yeah. gotta be hard too. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, we live in an information environment where it's, you know, you can know about all of these mm-hmm. things. And on the one hand, that's really good. You know, that they, there are these like rocks that, yeah you know, things are just hiding under. Um, there's very few truly like opaque regimes. I mean, we know a surprising amount about North Korea, yeah. you know, and it's the most isolated regime in the world. Um, but yeah, I think you're exactly right. You know, you're bombarded by all these things. And I think that, you know, there, there's a real, we have to lean into, God really actually does care about each of these things more than I can imagine. Yeah. Like it's, I am burdened by these things, his heart for these, his heart for every single person who he knows all the hairs on every single one of their heads. No one cares about these things more than him. No one is grieved by injustice more than the Lord. Um, you don't have, so we don't have to carry that. Yeah. Um, and, and yet I think, you know, I think we want to, we want to be aware. 
And I think that it's also okay to, and this is really hard. It's hard for me to even say, I'm like afraid to say it is okay to establish boundaries um, to, so that you can love your family so that you can be present with the things that you are trying to engage with. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. It's, it is really hard for us to be like, ah, what do you mean? I could not, it doesn't mean we don't care. Right. But you're also, we spend a lot of cognitive energy that doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that it's a, it's okay for us to discern calling to one or two things and to also just some calling me just to be in relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you really listen yeah. if someone doesn't trust you enough to tell you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, that's fine. This is, yeah. And that, even that, that the choosing an issue, being in a relationship is another version of slowing down and trusting God that like all these things seem really important, but I like, I'm not the superhero. I'm not the protagonist of every story. And I can sit back and say, like say no to things, which is we're not good at as a society to say no to things. Yeah. I'm so good at it. I'm really not good at it. <laughs> especially as a people pleaser. Yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah, sure. Yes. yes. I'll, I'll do everything. Yeah. And then, but then there is nothing left. And I think that, yeah, this idea of like, oh, you're the superhero. Um, I mean, weirdly enough, again, when you look at you know, like a comic book or something, mm-hmm. um, you don't, the focus is on like the heroics, not on whatever people's, the superhero's personal life, really. Yeah. Um, and we see in history, I mean, we see it in the history of the church that a lot of the people who, you know, make, major waves and our individuals perpetuating change turn out to not be very good people at home. Right. Um, they're, not, they're not, they're not good to their family. I mean, like Martin Luther's one of these people, right? Just like yeah. to be a particularly good husband. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, I think that as we think about ourselves as you are a protagonist in your family, you're, mm-hmm. you are, in your in your in your community um you know even if you're not you know you're not Thor or right man you know in the world um there are there are always relational and emotional and spiritual needs um with the people who are around you and I think that if we if we are sacrificing those relationships on this altar also of like, oh, well, God needs me so much. Yeah. That, eh, yeah. I, you know, can't, I don't have time for you. It's like the, you know, the going back to work mm-hmm. um, thing. It, we do that with, with mission too. They're like, well, I, God really needs me. So yeah. I, I, I'm not going to be around. I'm going to be busy doing the ref, quote unquote, the reformation. Mm-hmm. I'm very, a reformation historian. And, you know, he's like, oh my gosh, the Reformation. Yeah. <laughs> Series of Reformations. Gosh, and, man. Different um, in different places. And it was different. And no one even talks about the Eastern European Reformation either. That's right. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, th- you could fill volumes with the things that yeah. <laughs> say about the Reformation in Chris goes. What? Right. 
<laughs> come on, man. Um, he doesn't say, come on, man. That's me, obviously. Far- he's he's very articulate and yeah. also English <laughs> accent. So um, he sounds very cool when he says things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I this, as, as you're thinking about, you know, being, what do you do? How do you approach things? Um, I think it's also don't just assume that mission is out there. Don't mission is also here. Um, and, and God is not into ends justifying the means. Mm -hmm. That's, um, that's not the way God's economy works. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know everything about how it works. Some of it's just a mystery, but I know that that's not something that's in it. Um, it is not a, you know, well, as long as we save a bunch of people, it doesn't matter how we get there. Yeah. I don't think that that's God's heart at all. And, um, and that includes the people around you, the people in yeah. your community, um, your family. If, you're sacri- if your relationships with other people are being sacrificed on that altar of calling or service mm-hmm. um, or heroism, then, then that thing that you're, that you're going for instead of um, the people in your life is probably an idol. Yeah. Wow. That's a, a, a hard and, and good word still. Yeah. This has all been super helpful for me. Um, anything else, any other like pressing things that sort of came out of, of do you say Wig Stevenson's book, Tyler Wig Stevenson's book? Tyler Wig Stevenson. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll just, um, it, it's with university press. Okay. Um, Tyler Riggs Stevenson, um, the world is not ours to save finding the freedom to do good. Um, I highly recommend it. There's so much in here. Um, mm-hmm. I've met Tyler once okay. uh, through a mutual friend and found him just incredibly thoughtful and articulate. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's also, he's a fellow Anglican. He's, yeah. um, he's just, um, he's just moved into a new, uh, ministry position, um, at a new church in Toronto. I'm just forgetting the name of it right now. Um, and I think I tweeted at him at yeah. like last summer and I was like, man, all your book, I think I'm going to assign it in class. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll tweet at him now and say, there I talked about your book and I hope <laughs> I didn't totally misrepresent it. Um, but I mean, he's got also this activist cred where mm-hmm. he founded this, the, the two futures project, um, has done a lot of work as a nuclear weapons abolitionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he and throughout the book he he draws on his personal experience with activism and and some personal anecdotes in terms of um his uh, moments with for example um someone whose um you know family are all killed in mm-hmm. uh, the, the nuclear bombings at hiroshima and nagasaki mm-hmm. um or um very very hilarious anecdote um about Patch Adams um, in like San Francisco um, and all of these people who show up at this like anti-nuke talk and, and they they get, they get like take off all their clothes and start this nude protest. <laughs> He's like, this is not what I was going for. It's very funny. Um, so it's, it's really, really excellent. My students have really responded well to it so far. Um, right. So I, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. And I've been looking forward to teaching it, to, to like really reading it and, and thinking about it and then being able to discuss it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, signed up for the podcast to put it on my calendar to be able to talk about it too, because I think that it's really timely in this moment um, you know, where 
we found hope during the pandemic. I've, I have found hope and, you know, ebbs and flows day to day as I, you know, offer things to God and then snatch them. Right. <laughs> right. Just kidding. That, I didn't mean it. Uh, <laughs> all the time, Lord. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I have do find real hope in when I, when I, con- when I, when I really contemplate, this is who God says he is. And this, this is what that means for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all good. It's all good news. And it's not good for our egos, but that's also good news. That's also um, good news. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, yeah, yeah that's what I wanted to, uh, yeah, to encourage with. Yeah. Thanks. And, and thanks for sharing. And everybody go pick up the book or just find Kat and ask her more questions about it. I'm sure. I'm sure there's lots more to talk about. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, I, I, yeah. for listening. Thanks.